millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Condensed Histories. I'm Jem Daduchu, and obviously you want me to get into the condensing of some history. We've done films, we've done video games, we've done tabletop games, done TV shows. So what's it this time round, Jem, I hear you asking? Well, today I'm going to be condensing the history in a movie that's all about history. It's called The Dig. Starring Rafe Fiennes and also Carrie Mulligue. I probably mangled her name just then. <laughs> but the point is, it's about something that I, I haven't really talked about so far, but is actually the thing I love the most about archaeology. And if you like, is the rallying cry of why I got into it in the first place. So let's sort of give you the background then. The Dig is one of these movies that was filmed independently of Netflix, but then was bought by Netflix because, let's face it, it's 2021 and cinemas are shut, at least in the UK. And this is a very, very English movie. It must be, that must be pointed out. And so it made sense that it's going to end up on Netflix. And, and well done to Netflix because they are determined in this pandemic. Obviously, they kind of have a captive audience, but at the same time, they're pumping out the new material. And if you compare it to something like Disney Plus, it's like a movie a week or a TV series a week or a documentary series a week versus, oh, we got WandaVision now on Disney Plus. So (laughs) one episode a week. Anyway, I'm enjoying that, but that's a different story. So what is The Dig about? Well, it's something that I knew about 30 years ago. It's the story of the excavation of Sutton Hoo. And it was happening, coincidentally, in the summer of 1939. And even as a teenager, I was sitting there thinking, this should be made a movie. You can see the parallels between this sort of piece of archaeology happening in the background of of great conflict. And, I mean, it only took the world 30 years to get on to it. And it's actually based on a book. But the reality is we're talking about real history, real archaeology at a time of genuinely World War II was literally about to to break out. I want to sort of talk a little bit about some of the weird quirks of this, because if we go to Carrie Mulligan, I, I, I really rate her as an actress. I first noticed her in one of the best ever episodes of... Doctor Who called Blink, which is the first one that showed the weeping angels. Your life could depend on this. Don't blink. Don't even blink. Blink and you're dead. They are fast, faster than you could believe. Don't turn your back. 
don't look away and don't blink. Wow, that's a great episode. I really recommend you check that out. And I've paid attention to her career. She is excellent as a whole. However, she's playing a real person. The person who owned the area, which had these mounds, where one of them had the Sutton Who find on it, was her own personal territory. And her name was Edith Pretty. That's the name of the real woman. And the one thing I want to sort of say, why did they go for Carrie? I don't know. Is because Edith Pretty at the time of the excavation was in her mid-50s. She is in her mid-30s. She's clearly a younger woman. Apparently Nicole Kidman was up for the role because Nicole Kidman's up for every role at the moment. But she was too busy doing something else. So whereas I like her, I would say she's kind of miscast because she's clearly quite a lot younger than she needs to be. Then we've got Ray Fiennes playing Basil Brown, who I have known about for many years, but was kind of written out of the story because he wasn't an official archaeologist. He hadn't come from either Ipswich Museum or the British Museum. He was just one of these local surveyors who just knew everything about the area. And I'll come back to his genius in a moment. But what I want to say is you sometimes get these weird little quirks, like Ray Fiennes has had an incredibly varied career. He was in an amazing sci-fi movie called Stranger Days. Everybody's kind of forgotten about that one but that's that's a really great film but he's kind of made his little niche in this sort of the 1930s why do i say that well that's when the digs based but we've also got him you know perhaps the thing that most people remember him from is schindler's list when he was playing that evil camp commandant a remarkable role where he showed so many different layers to this man he could have just been stomping around being a cackling evil caricature but he brought some i'm going to be careful with this word but some humanity some depth to this man which made him even more loathsome a remarkable performance which he lost the best supporting actor oscar to tommy lee jones in the fugitive now i like the fugitive and i think tommy lee jones is great in it but no way is that role better than what ray fines was doing in schindler's list sorry but then there's The English Patient. Now, The English Patient is not one of these examples of these movies that's become completely forgotten. It won nine Oscars. Sadly, Ray Fiennes didn't win it for Best Actor himself, but it won all kinds of Oscars. I actually ended up reading the book and is this sweeping romance set in the 30s and 40s with the backdrop of World War II. Sound familiar? And it's beautiful and romantic and epic and terrifying in certain places too. Very dark, but there's this message of hope to it as well. And I don't want to give anything away, but I've heard detractors say about English Patient going, God, it goes on a bit. And the central character played by Ray Fiennes is this very damaged individual. He's been badly burnt, badly beaten up, and he's sort of lying in bed retelling his story. And it's therefore very episodic. And I've heard some people say, oh, it doesn't off go on a bit. But if you're the sort of person who can sit through Lawrence of Arabia or any other sort of like David Lean movies, it's like that. So if you're looking for fast pace, action, pat, edit, 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 cut, 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 it ain't that kind of film. But if you just want to lose yourself for an entire afternoon, the English patient. And I sat there. You can start talking about toxic masculinity all you want. I went to see that film three times in the cinema and I managed to hold it together. But the day it got released on home release, like DVD video, 
I bought a copy, went home, and I just blubbed all the way through it. I just let it all out. And you might say, Jim, you should be able to do that in a cinema. It's like, okay, fine. But this particular film really, really resonated with me. And maybe you want to give it a go. So then there's another one that he did, The End of the Affair, which was clearly, mm, you know, we, we everybody liked it. It was very Oscar-worthy, uh, The English Patient. So The End of the Affair definitely has similarities to that. But rather than being set in like the Sahara Desert, it's set largely in Brighton during the war. And just that just isn't as sexy. Sorry. It's a good film, but The English Patient is better. And then, of course, he's in the Grand Budapest Hotel. So basically, he's always hanging around the 1930s and 40s in roles that he's particularly well known for. It is also worth pointing out of course he plays Voldemort in the Harry Potter films as well we do not speak his name but also in this film because of course you've got to have multiple big names in English cinema and acting is you've got Lily James and she's another one who's kind of always stuck in now of course perhaps her most favorite famous role is in Cinderella okay fair enough however uh, she's also in Darkest Hour. That's the one about Churchill. So literally at the same time, she was in Downton Abbey. That's kind of where she got her big break. And that's obviously set in the sort of the, the, this period too. And she's also in, and I've got a grudge against this movie. I know it's the name of the book, but if you make a movie called The Guernsey Literary and Potato Peel Pie Society, you're never going to make a hundred million dollars, okay? Why make a film that is so desperately trying to not be mainstream? It's set, set during the war, which is why you get the potato peel and, you know, because of rationing and all that kind of stuff. And I guess the argument is, well, everybody who read the book, they're going to want to see the film. We've changed the name. But yeah, it wasn't a big hit. It was well-reviewed, a kind of solid three-star movie. But I just, I refuse to watch it because it's like, come on, who is going to see the title of that film and go, that's a must-see? And I was right, okay? Now, Lily James is a very good actress. I would like to point this out. So we've got all these great actors in it and there are others as well. There's Ben Chaplin and Ben Chaplin is married to Lily James. And it is largely the retelling of the complete surprise find of the Sutton Who, which, look, obviously, you know I'm going to get into all the good stuff, all the history stuff in a bit. But first of all, I want to talk about the movie. It's directed by Simon Stone, who hasn't directed many things before this. But, oh, my God, he makes this beautiful. Seeing this could largely be people with their sleeves rolled up in a trench digging away he uses so much sky and the camera really moves around that you can tell that this man has not spent his entire career in theater which some british directors did and therefore they're very static the camera moves it is gorgeous if this doesn't get nominated for a bunch of awards particularly the baftas i mean this has got bafta written all over it maybe some nods in the oscars i'm not saying it's going to necessarily win everything but i would be surprised if it doesn't get at least some nods. Ray Fiennes playing Basil Brown just does it wonderfully. And I've seen a couple of interviews and clearly he really enjoyed this. And I happen to know as a fact that when Ray Fiennes was at school, he actually helped set up an archaeology society at school. So he clearly has a love for this stuff going way back, as it were. So that, that's the basic outline. Would you want to watch it? Don't know. Don't know how much you like archaeology. 
I would say that to make it a bit more mainstream, to make it a little bit more palatable, they've got a fictional character and a fictional romance going on in this. And I think that that's distracting a little bit from the main thing. So just to explain, we've got this other character who's a relative. I think he's a nephew or a cousin to Edith Pretty, the main woman. And his name's Rory Lomax and he's completely made up. Okay, but he's very pretty and he's blonde. And meanwhile, Lily James, she's has an unhappy marriage with Ben Chaplin, who may or may not be gay. Now, the characters, the, the piggots who are Lily James and, and Ben Chaplin, they're a real couple that were genuinely at this dig. And their marriage lasted for 20 years, well after the dig. So, yeah, I think it's a little sort of duplicitous to sort of imply that their marriage was in tatters and, you know, he was gay and she ended up having a sort of steamy affair with Rory Lomax, a fictional character. And there's also, a, I don't want to get too much into it, but there's, there's some other scenes where it's like, okay, you're adding drama here. And I get that if we're fundamentally talking about people in a slit trench digging, that might not be enough drama for the average person. But they do such a good job with the archaeology. And I would argue that, okay, if you're going to strip out this stuff, what are you going to put in instead, Gem? You know, we still need to make a movie. So let's say all this stuff adds up to 15 minutes of the film. Well, I'm going to show you where they could have done 15 minutes where it would have been interesting and still absolutely relevant to Sutton Who, and it wouldn't have lost anything. It is weird when sometimes people decide to do a very standard bit of drama in something that's genuinely historically accurate uh, and interesting. A great example of that is Alec Baldwin, who has had a sketchy career uh, in terms of sort of good films and bad films, etc. He did a, an amazing amazing miniseries about the Nuremberg trials, not the rallies, the trials of all the Nazi war criminals, obviously highlighting the Holocaust as well. And for some reason, they decided to put in that a romance again about the will he, won't he with the woman. And I was sitting there watching it going, really? If you're a screenwriter and you can't find enough drama in the Nuremberg trials at the end of World War II, factoring in some of the greatest crimes of human history, then you're a bad screenwriter. That, that's not on the events. That's on you not being able to wring out enough drama of this incredibly dramatic moment in history. Now, I appreciate Sutton Who isn't quite the same, but when you've got this thing that later on reveals so much about where we get the word England from and England's past and roots at the same time that England is going to war against this sort of enemy invasion or potential invasion, just like it was in the early Anglo-Saxon era. There is so much drama you could have put there. And indeed, if you don't know, the Sutton Who burial, and I'm going to come on to why you shouldn't call it a burial at the end, but Sutton Who is basically the site of some amazing Anglo-Saxon finds. The greatest finds ever from the Anglo-Saxon era, and it's from a particularly early part of the Anglo-Saxon era, which highlights the fact that these people weren't barbarians. There was a huge amount of skill. They were part of an international trading platform and network. It was something that woke everybody up. And indeed, they make this point in the movie that, you know, the Dark Ages aren't as dark now. And indeed, during the Victorian era, the term Dark Ages became to be referred to this period. The narrative that you've probably got in your mind is that the Romans turned up in Britain 
And they spread their civilization, civilizing all the locals, even though there's lots of evidence to show that, fine, the Celts and Picts might have done it differently, but they had their own civilization. Nobody was asking for the Romans to invade. If you like, the bias we have, the blind side we have for the Romans, is that they turned up, they did all these good things like the hypercourse systems and gladiatorial games and things like that. All right, but apart from the sanitation, the medicine, education, wine, public order, irrigation, roads, a fresh water system and public health, what have the Romans ever done for us? And then round about 400 AD, because we're all being attacked by these damn Germanic groups like the Angles, Jutes and Saxons. Okay, so then the Romans leave Britain and switch the lights off. And then nothing really happens for like 500 years apart from bloodshed, murder and King Alfred. And that's so not true. And if you like, the starting point of rehabilitating this era starts with Sutton Who. Why is it called that for starters? Because that's the name of the area. We've got some really weird names of different places throughout the British Isles, okay? Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So Sutton is just the name of the area. And in basically a huge field, there are a bunch of mounds. And these mounds were clearly some kind of burial mound. The thing is about archaeology that's sticking out the ground that's kind of in the middle of nowhere is somebody at some points probably had a whack at it. This happens in places like Egypt all the time. And because locals, why wouldn't they make money out of local things? All right. So I'm not judging anybody here. And they and they do a really good job of explaining this problem when it comes to the actual movie and how they they basically Basil Brown comes to the conclusion that while there is this one weird shaped mound, it's probably been ground down by agriculture. And therefore, 
although there were signs of people trying to sort of sink pits or basically dig their way in to find the gold, they were probably digging in the wrong place and therefore there was a chance to find something interesting there. It is worth pointing out that, again, if we go back to Egypt, the three great pyramids, colossal structures that amaze us to this day. And then there's Tutankhamun, who is mentioned briefly, actually, in the movie. That was only about a, a decade and a half earlier than Anglo-Saxon Sutton Hoo, when it was discovered. The point is that those three great pyramids were for mighty pharaohs, whereas when it came to Tutankhamun, he was a boy king, he was nobody in the big list of dynastic pharaohs throughout ancient Egyptian history and yet were amazed by his finds. They were preserved because basically everyone forgot about him, the front caved in on itself, nobody knew there was a tomb there and that's what saved it for modern generations to admire. So if he's a minor player, imagine what was originally put in the actual great pyramids. But there's nothing there. It's all been stripped out. And all the little clever little tricks and traps and so on and so forth to stop grave robbers, tomb diggers, etc. Well, they didn't work because there ain't anything there anymore apart from the structures. So yeah, this, this is something that's a problem throughout history, throughout the world. So what they do is they start digging. And the real genius of Basil Brand, I've heard some people complain about a thing that's not in the film, and I'll come to that in a bit, but... The genius of Basil Brown is as he was going down, his skill, which shows that, yes, he may not have been actually an archaeologist with a PhD, but he recognized that in the very sandy soil, it was not going to preserve wood. And he noticed that there were these highly corroded iron rivets and this discoloration of sand. And so he made a correct guess that this was where wood had had been centuries ago that's rotted away. And so he very carefully, along with the rest of the crew, and eventually the British Museum did indeed get involved, is they basically swept away all the dirt, leaving the dirt, the, the soil that was discolored. And what they realized, and it matched perfectly with the iron rivets, they realized they were standing in this huge early Anglo-Saxon longship. What do I mean by an early Anglo-Saxon longship? A Viking longship. The, basically, the Vikings and the Anglo-Saxons all come from the same culture. You might have heard of Odin, you know, the, the great god, Norse god of the Vikings, okay? Yes, well, he was called Woden. Basically the same name, same abilities, same spirit by the early Anglo-Saxons. And so when people turn around and say, ah, oh, they didn't show all the treasures... But they say in the movie, and I absolutely agree with this, they show the main treasure, which is this ship. Because this ship predates those Viking longships by centuries and shows you that the technology had existed for centuries earlier than we initially thought. The thing that people are kind of upset about, and this is where it comes back to Little Old Gem and why I'm so interested in it, is it doesn't show the helmet. <gasps> Now, the Anglo-Saxon Sutton Hoo helmet is the symbol of Sutton Hoo. It's one of the most famous things in the British Museum, and they got a lot of famous things there. And the thing is this. My mother told me when I was in my teenage years, she said, I know you've always loved Sutton Hoo, and you've always loved history. And I went, well, how do you know that? And she goes, because, Jim, every time there was a school trip to the British Museum, no matter how many things there were there, 
you would always come back with a little jigsaw of the Sutton Hoo helmet, or a little rubber with the Sutton Hoo helmet on it, or a little postcard with a Sutton Hoo helmet on it. You just loved that thing. And I still do. Every time I go to the British Museum, I always pay my respects. And the thing I love about it is the fact that the original has been very carefully reconstructed and put on clay. So this is why it's not in the movie, because they hadn't reconstructed it yet. Indeed, the first time the Anglo-Saxon treasures from Sutton Hoo were put on display was well after the war. During the war, as they say in the movie, it was actually sort of tucked away in the London Underground, along with lots of other artefacts to protect it from bombing. Although I would have argued perhaps they should have kept it there in Sutton Hoo, uh, while, because that was a play target unlikely to have been attacked. Regardless, the, the point is that it took a long time before the helmet was built. So no, it would be weird for them to have gone, here's the helmet, because it was just in tiny little bits. But the fact that they chose to set the corroded metal and the jewels of the Sutton Hoo helmet. Please, if you don't know what I'm talking about, Sutton, S-U-T-T-O-N, Who H-O-O, Sutton Who, type in Sutton Hoo helmet, have a look at it. Because the original, it just looks like it's been pulled out of the soil. Now, like I say, that's a trick. They, it's, a, it's a choice that they made to sort of set it on clay but it does look kind of dirty. It looks old. And while there is an amazing reproduction that shows what it looks like as it would have been put in, with all this bright silver and gold, and it looks spectacular, I don't like it as much because it looks brand new. Now, of course, nobody wants it things to look old. It was never put in there to be old. It's because we dug it out about 1,500 years later. The, the point is, it's a symbol to me of what archeology span is. And because it's a helmet with a mask on the front, staring into those eyes, to me, is like staring into history itself. Now, I'm aware that I've mentioned the word Anglo-Saxon multiple times and I've been taken to task even. There's been a debate online between historians because Anglo-Saxon is one of these terms that's been hijacked by some very unsavory characters. And basically the Anglo-Saxons were white, they were Germanic, and therefore I think you can work out what sort of groups might want to say, well, look how great they were, and therefore Anglo-Saxon is being used to mean white supremacy. Now that is not what I mean, and that's not what the Anglo-Saxons were about either. Yes, they were brave warriors, but it wasn't a race thing. It was a plunder thing. It was an honor thing. So yes, I'm aware that that's sort of slightly problematic, but to those people saying, well, we should use early medieval, that's not a period, okay? This era is so different to what happened after 1066 as to you need to call it something else. Don't call it the Dark Ages. That's just Victorians going, ugh, it was awful after the Romans. So that's irrelevant. So we haven't got anything better than Anglo-Saxon. Saxon, which is a term they use themselves, admittedly, later on, okay? The great, interesting thing, and this is where we could fill in the other 15 minutes, and also why you should not call it the Anglo-Saxon Sutton Hoo burial, is because of all the grave goods. They found Merovingian coins. These are sort of post-Roman from continent coins, and they found as many coins as there were positions for rowers on the ship. So was this payment to be rowed into the afterlife? Who knows? This is the guess. We can tell you what's there, and we can't, but we can't tell you why it's there necessarily. There was heavily corroded, and indeed you do see this in the actual movie. And for the record, at some point, you start seeing them digging up 
Moss, and then putting the fines on Moss. And if you're sitting there going, why is that? I did actually have to look into it myself. I had a hunch and I, I was right. Basically, they were trying to keep the moisture levels the same. They knew that if it all dried out, that the whole stuff could be damaged more so. But also, it was likely that the pH level, the level of acidity of the moss would be similar to the soil. So it just sort of keeps everything in a natural state. You know, if it was survived like that for the last 1,500 years, maybe it'll survive like that for another 50 years if we just sort of keep it like that for the time being. That seems to be the best guess. You know, this is an era when they couldn't have things hermetically sealed and, you know, museums were very, very different in the 1930s and 40s to what they are today. So the point is they founded corroded armour, and what I mean by that is mail armour. You would know of it as chain mail, but it's not a chain, it's actually a mesh. So that shows you complex armour there. We've talked about the helmet, there's swords, shields, and then there's a lot of gold work with enamel inlay. And it's beautiful. And of course, the great thing about gold is it doesn't corrode. So that looked as shiny and gorgeous the day it was buried as the day it was dug up. It is remarkable craftsmanship. But the other thing, and you see this briefly in the film, and this is where they could have got into it more, is you see some silver plates, and these are from the Byzantine Empire, which was Christian. And so it's got this Christian iconography of crosses on it. And also found at the site, not mentioned in the movie at all, is two baptismal, two christening spoons. A, a christening spoon is something that is still a tradition to give somebody a child on their christening. I've done it. I'm not Christian, but I've done it. And there's a little part of me thinking, and this goes all the way back in England, at least to the Sutton Hoo site. It's an amazing connection of, of a religion that was there. So yes, you've got these christening spoons with Saul and Paul written on them, which are obviously Christian names. So what's all this Christian stuff doing in a longship burial site? And the answer to this is, well, they found all this amazing treasure, well, they found this armor, well, they found parts of drinking horns, yes, that kind of thing, so tap into your cliched Viking, because like I say, these cultures were very, very similar. This is as pagan as it gets, and yet you've also got this Christian iconography there. But the one thing they didn't find is a body. Now, I've heard some people say, well, you know, maybe they missed it. If they can carefully sketch out the ghost, the echoes of an entire longship, they didn't miss the skeleton. All we can say is that no human remains was found there. So the one thing you can't call it is a burial, because what does every burial on planet Earth have in common? Human remains. So the best guess on this is that maybe, and we've been able to do all the dating, and this comes back to the 500s AD. And this is a strange time in England. For starters, there's no such place as England. Where do we get the name England from? It's the land of the Angles, as in Anglo-Saxons. It's Angleland. Now, seeing the Angles, the Angles and Saxons come from modern-day Germany. The Jutes that I mentioned as well, who turned up at about the same time and had very similar culture, they come from modern-day Denmark. But this is centuries before the Vikings turned up, okay? So you've got this very Germanic culture turning up here. And they started raiding, basically, when the Roman legions left. And then they started settling. And then they started naming things. Hence, Angleland or England. But there was no unified country. 
Suffolk is where they were. The South Folk is what Suffolk means. Okay, so that's one territory. Then you've got later on Suffolk and the Nor Norfolk, the North Folk. These are two clearly different tribal communities, two principalities, kingdoms, call them what you will. But they eventually amalgamated into the Anglo-Saxon kingdom of East Anglia, the East Angles, okay, as opposed to Wessex, which is where the West Saxons come from, and Essex, East Saxons. You can start seeing how these names are absolutely linked to their cultural identity, but at the time of the Sutton Hoo burial, there was no place like called England. There were just all these different territories. But what we do know is occasionally one warrior chieftain would beat all the other ones, or at least all the ones in, in, in the local vicinity, into submission. And they were called a Bretwalder, like an overlord, if you like. And there was a Bretwalder of this time called Ragnald or Ragvald. It's, again, we, we get slightly different names. And that's all we can say about it. Is this the burial site of the Bretwalder Ragnald? Maybe. Maybe. But we don't know. His name isn't mentioned anywhere. But also, the thing is this, it's also the time when Christianity was beginning to make a comeback in England. Now, I'm carefully to phrase that. There was still English Christians here, and there was a very healthy community in Ireland, for example. And indeed, when the missions from Rome to send Christian missionaries out to England when they arrived, they found modest churches and some Christians, but clearly the pagans had, if you like, won. But this is the period where Christianity is trying to make a comeback. So the best guess about this site is this, that this great leader, whoever they were, and what, why do we think they're a great leader? Because we haven't found any other ship burials in England. To have something this amazing with the gold clasps and all the other stuff that they were buried in, they had to have been a big deal. This was not some guy called Barry, who was a peasant who fell over and got quickly buried. This person had was high status and therefore, if they got the most stuff we've ever seen in an Anglo-Saxon grave, they're probably the most important person of their time. And that's why we link it back to Ragnald. With that in mind, he might well have wanted to be buried in the traditional Anglo-Saxon way, i.e. the pagan stuff. And if you look at Beowulf, which was actually written a little bit later, but only a little bit later than this, and it's actually set in Scandinavia rather than England, but it's the first piece of literature written in Anglo-Saxon English. That also has Christians in it. Now, there's very much a pagan bias. The Christians are in it. But if you like, the Christians are suspicious. They're not the good guys, in inverted commas. So it does show you this tension between Christianity and paganism at this time. Now, Christianity eventually won, but people didn't know that in their own time. So the theory is this. He gets his pagan burial to appease the pagan gods. But because of all this Christian stuff, his actual body might have well have been buried in the Christian way. And as my old archaeological lecturer said, the worst thing that ever happened to archaeology was Christianity. And what he meant by that is, as soon as you've got this theological concept of separating the body and the soul, if you go back to ancient Egypt, body and soul were one and the same. You know, your body was going to be mummified carefully to preserve it, and it would then be spirited away to the afterlife. But as soon as you say your body rots, but your soul goes on this spiritual journey into this other dimension, basically, then you don't need to be buried with anything anymore. Nobody gets buried in Viking longships anymore, I'm going to say unfortunately, because that would be awesome. There are actually very poor amounts of grave goods in most Christian sites. It's just not really a thing. For the record, 
I, I'm not Christian, I love archaeology, I want to be buried in with lots of stuff. I want to be an interesting archaeological find in 500 years' time. That's a different aside. But there you go. Hopefully, this shows you how amazing this find was in Sutton Who and why The Dig is a really good movie that sort of like highlights this sort of complete surprise of finding this stuff and what an amazing job they did actually excavating the site too. Now, the other thing I said, you know, there could be a clever comparison. They were never going to go down this road in this particular movie. But in my mind, if I was going to make it, they, I would do these echoes. Like I said, the Anglo-Saxons were Germanic and they were warriors. And this was a time of violence and conquest. And it was being dug up at exactly the same scenario going on. So maybe a little bit of a flashback or a brief echo of a of an Anglo-Saxon warrior bedecked in all the stuff of Sutton Hoo, just looking down like a ghost or a spirit in the sky. And if you're sitting there going, that's rubbish, maybe that's why I'm not writing movies, okay? But you can see that there could have been. And how would I fill that 15 minutes? I think with this discussion, this very interesting discussion of Christianity versus paganism, which was clear even when they were digging this stuff up. Where's the body? Why is all this Christian stuff in the middle of a pagan burial? Maybe you could have, if you're going to invent a character, maybe you have a vicar saying, well, this is proof that Christianity he's always been around and great and you know maybe got basil saying well I'll explain the boat then mate so there were absolutely ways that you could have continued to make the archaeology interesting without an unnecessary romance being stuck onto it but like i like i say that that's a minor flaw in a really good and beautifully shot movie i'd give it four out of five stars if you've got Netflix, you can watch it now. It's free. What's the harm? You get to see some great acting, particularly from Ray Fiennes. Enjoy. It's a beautiful evening. And also, with everything else going on, it takes you on a bit of a holiday. You get all this beautiful scenery, which is probably not what you're getting right now. As always, I'm just going to quickly say, please, please, you can always talk to me. I'd love to get your thoughts. I've had people reach out to me. I'm at Jem Daduccio on Twitter. I'd love to get your thoughts. Have I convinced you to watch the, the movie, for example? The other thing I just want to say is please spread the love, spread links. I do regularly post out links to these podcasts. It'd be great if more people could sort of like retweet them and stuff like that. Please, please do that. And as always, stay safe and hopefully see you soon. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, 
Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.